Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Peter Woolery. Peter is a Norwegian-American from Silicon Valley. He is part owner and CFO of Summit Bicycles, where he leads the company's finance, HR, and IT departments. Peter has worked for Summit Bicycles for over 10 years, where he has been fortunate enough to be able to leverage his positions to expand his capabilities, from financial and sales strategy to HR and database administration. He has built a set of very diverse skills. Peter, welcome to CFO Weekly, and thank you so much for taking the time today to share your experience with us. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to speak with you. Yeah, today we're talking about effectively managing working capital during unpredictable times. The COVID-19 pandemic has caused unprecedented levels of disruption and uncertainty for companies across all sectors and geographies. And even in the best of times, many management teams struggle to sustain good control over short-term cash flows and the working capital that drives them. However, the COVID-19 crisis has been unique in its combination of challenges, making mitigation even more complex. Peter, I'm looking forward to any advice you can give our listeners today on this topic. So let's get started. First, tell me about your career progression. How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, my career progression is really somewhat of grassroots, where I began at Summit Bicycles 15 years ago, just cleaning the floors, cleaning the bathrooms, building kids' bikes for the holidays, doing all of the the basic work. From there, I've taken almost every single job within the company, so I have a, a good feeling for for everything there. I did leave for a couple of years to go to the University of Maryland initially to study materials engineering when I got the opportunity to then work for a titanium manufacturer in Norway. So I dropped out of college and moved to Norway and started playing with some robots there doing 3D deposition of titanium. And that really did a, it taught me a lot of good things about building the foundations of the business. We were very fortunate to be well capitalized as a startup company and not have to deal with any of the the headaches that a lot of people are dealing with nowadays where that short-term cash flow that you're talking about is a a common concern. As we had mentioned in in our discussions previously, the weather in Norway is is a little colder than California. (laughs) So I opted to move back to California and then I, I rejoined Summit Bicycles at that point, more on the management side of things, initially just running a store and then running a region and eventually moving my way up to general manager and eventually to the CFO of the company. As we grew to be, uh, now we're seven or eight divisions, it was really necessary to have the the full C-suite filled out. Yeah, that's really cool. I don't think many people can say that they like, it sounds like you've literally started at the entry level and worked your way all the way up. Yeah, literally from the ground up. <laughs> so are there any particular stories or moves that stand out in your mind as the turning points in your career? Yeah, the big one was in 2017. I acquired some of the shares of Summit Bicycles. And in doing so, I was privy to more of the finances of the business. 
this was right around the time where I took on the CFO title. What it kind of, what stood out to me was that we didn't have a good clarity on our books. And more importantly is we didn't know what we didn't know. We had an accountant who had been with us for many years who was doing a decent job, but as we scaled up from two brick and mortar, you know, sort of family focused stores to being a larger chain of retail and online business, our accounting team really didn't keep up. They were still doing pen and paper and physical reconciling of our accounts. And so we noticed that that was dragging things back. What that meant for me was that I dove deeper into the data to understand what was going on. And at, at that point, we switched over to a professional accounting firm and that helped to improve our visibility substantially. It still wasn't good enough. It wasn't giving me all of the answers that I really wanted. So from there, I started to teach myself some coding to dig into the actual database and the records in our systems. So I learned SQL, which structured query language so that I could understand the actual data that was contributing to our accounting software and our point of sale software and what that meant and how they interacted. Wow, it sounds like you really rolled up your sleeves and, and got into the details. Yeah, I, I wanted to know and I'm, uh, I just kind of put my nose to the grindstone. So let's talk about Summit Bicycles. What exactly do they do? So we generally focus on the sales of bicycles themselves. We're about 70% of our business are the bicycle sales and associated accessories. We have another 30% of our business that is service oriented. So that's repairing bicycles or building them for direct to consumer brands where they might sell it online, ship it to us, we assemble it and give it to the end consumer. Over the years, our online presence has naturally grown. It's been pretty steady, but this year it's grown enormously. We're up 700% or so in online, which has really forced us to uh, adjust our, our uh, practices. So I imagine that the bike industry has historically been seasonal, seasonal, but predictable. So tell me what 2020 has been like. Yeah, I think it's a similar experience to many people with 2020. We still see that seasonality. Um, I was looking at our, our graphs of payments throughout the year. It's just that the seasonality is more extreme. And you can see the, the historical seasonal curve in there. But when all of the when all of the gyms and other recreation activities closed down, people turned to bicycles. So in right around May, we saw a large increase nationally of bicycle sales. So that jumped up and it was sort of this dramatic increase for a number of months. Similarly dramatic in August, we had fires around here, a bunch of wildfires in California, which not only meant that a, a number of our employees had to evacuate, which is very stressful on them. And, you know, we just had to shift around a little, but in terms of consumer behavior, what we saw was a substantial drop, about a 40% drop 
back down to what we would normally see that time of year. So it's sort of been normal. If you, if you take the aggregate, you can see that curve just with these big spikes in either direction. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it, it's had its ups and downs. And, and I remember in May when, when my gym closed, uh, going to get a bike like everybody else. And there was a line wrapped around the building. And uh, I was told I was going to have to wait a few months to get it. Um, but luckily, there was some there was a bike in stock that hadn't been picked up. And so I managed to get one immediately, which was awesome. But that's really the way to go about it is if you don't have a particular color or specific model you want, you, you can find something. So how has this all forced you to change the way you guys are doing things in general? Well, the biggest change is really what you were just mentioning, where we're no longer just selling what we have in stock and then refilling it the following week and having that good turnover in our inventory. Now we are having to sell on future inventory. So in order to secure bikes for the now 2021 model year, we're having to back order all of those. Um, I just put in some orders earlier today and they're being reported as an ETA of 2022, wow. which is just wild. So we've had to adjust our systems to not just report what we have, but build new systems so that our frontline sales staff can communicate to our customer what the ETA is on a particular bike, what the probability is that it'll show up at that time, and then adjust our selling practices to communicate what might be a better option that we can get in a more realistic time or we might have in one of our warehouses right now. So how have you managed your supply chain during the pandemic? I remember being told when I, I went to go get my bike that a lot of the parts were coming from China, which obviously was very hard hit in the beginning. But just curious how you've managed your supply chain. Yeah, the, the bicycle industry has had a rough time. It's, you know, it's been a positive experience overall because it's just tremendous demand. But to your point about products coming from China, one of the unintended consequences of the tariffs that went into place over the last few years is that a number of our manufacturers have shifted bicycle production out of China and to places like Vietnam or Cambodia. Those places saw quick shutdowns, but they also kept containment on, on the virus, so it came back relatively quickly. What they've seen, however, is that you can't really get parts for bikes. So the parts are, instead of going to, say, our service side of the business, those are now going to producing bicycles. So we haven't seen as much growth in the service side because we can't necessarily get the parts to fix the bikes that we're then waiting on bikes. Hmm, that's Fortunately, yeah, we've focused historically more on bicycle sales anyway. So it was easy for us to adapt to that. The biggest thing that we've done is really just placing aggressive back orders with vendors um, and keeping those tight so that we have vendors that are committed to us and we're committed to them and we can secure at least within reasonable probability bikes coming in. And that's much, much more than we historically would have ever done. So from suppliers to customers, how do you assure yourself that they're going to remain financially viable? 
we're in a good position when it comes to customers that we don't have much uh, accounts receivable on our books. We have a little bit from some corporate service business that we do, but in 2020, that all but vanished as all the local large uh, tech corporations just transitioned to work from home for all of their employees. So we don't have to worry too much about the, the viability there. There has been some concern in terms of general consumer confidence in, in purchasing, but I think over the summer we've seen as the restrictions have eased, consumers want to go out and do things and they want to do things where they can ideally social distance. So we're fairly well insulated on the consumer side. On the supplier side, we're seeing that vendors are, are reaping the benefits of demand as well. But I think some of the smaller vendors are going to overreach. And so they may put themselves in a, a challenging position if demand suddenly drops off. So most of our back orders and our commitments are to larger players that we have a, a longer relationship with and whom we contribute a large portion of their annual sales as well. So that way uh, we can rely on them having good financing to be able to purchase the bikes and uh, resolve their commitments throughout the 2021 model year and thus be able to provide the bikes that we need in order to have another stellar year. So just out of curiosity, has, has the price of bicycles skyrocketed this year? It's not as elastic as one would think. It's usually set kind of as, as is and kept that way. So normally you would expect some demand adjustment in terms of the prices. Yeah. But because the prices are communicated from the manufacturer sort of top down, it's difficult for the end retailer to then increase their prices. We have seen some retail stores introduce, say, like destination fees or things like that in order to effectively raise the price, but it's, it's not consistent. Yeah. I mean, I guess when people are having to wait a, a year for a bike, I would think there'd be some price gouging, <laughs> but that's yeah, nice that there's exactly. not. <laughs> we saw an increase, I think it was a month and a half ago due to some new tariffs being reinstated. And we decided that for the customers that had already placed a deposit on bikes that were coming in, that the amount we would have to absorb was small enough that we weren't going to raise the prices for them. Any new purchases, yes, it would be a higher price, but those customers who had previously placed a deposit, we wanted to show good faith. Yeah, that's fair. And I think you've already touched on this a bit, but um, given the supply chain disruptions, have you had to work with your suppliers in new ways and are you selling to customers in different ways? Yeah, we have, we touched on it a little bit. And what we've really worked on doing is to get the right data from our vendors. So being more demanding of getting all of the back orders that we have from each of our vendors and then getting estimated delivery dates. Now, as that delivery date has been pushed out, those vendors are becoming less confident in those numbers. So we've had to build in more systems to account for that probability as well, where we're moving away from saying a specific day to moving to say a month or a quarter of the year and doing it that way. Likewise, we've adapted our consumer facing online retail store 
to communicate what is in stock now, either at one of our, our physical stores or at one of our warehouses, and what is expected to come in based on our back orders and what, yes, you can place an order for, but the ETA is probably going to be very far out. Those ones we rarely get, but occasionally someone just wants to make sure they get that specific bike. And with all the chaos uh, in 2020, CFOs are struggling to stabilize cash flows. How have you managed this challenge? Yeah, it's been uh, definitely been a roller coaster. I remember sitting down March 17th, right before the announcement came through that the whole Bay Area was going to be shut down and just kind of freaking out in my mind. And then we just went through and started reaching out to all of our vendors and our landlords and preparing them for what was what was going to happen. Fortunately for us, it's sort of turned the other way where we've had good cash flows coming in, but the supply chain disruptions on the other end of it on our sourcing have made it a little bit more challenging where we're having to divert dollars and convert those into inventory. So we have much more inventory than we have and have had in the past, but we've had to do that in order to secure any bikes for Q1 and Q2 of 2021. So now it's a game of where on the balance sheet are those dollars actually allocated to, whether they're in physical goods of boxed bikes in a, you know, an offsite warehouse or whether they're dollars on hand. And it's managing the balance between those two. One of the main things that I've done to that end is I wasn't getting good kind of day-to-day information from our point of sale system in terms of the overall payments and what type of payments were coming in. So I wrote a program where I can see live the cash flows that are coming in day to day, update our our weekly cash flow projections. So we can see going forward where we need to convert things back and forth, where maybe we need to hold off on a a large shipment uh, to allow that to roll to the next month. It's a much shorter time period than we have had to do it in the past. So how often do you find yourself reforecasting? I'd say realistically it's weekly, but I'm looking at the numbers daily. And that's really just based on how fast we can get information. In terms of information from our point of sale system, because of the code that I've written, we can get that information essentially instantly, currently runs every five minutes. So that's really good. But then on the the other side of things, the accounting doesn't move at that speed. (laughs) They're great. Our accounting firm is fantastic. They're really Uh, knocking it out of the park. But the reality of their situation is when you're issuing checks or bills and dealing with banking, things are simply slower. So finding that balance and resolving on weekly to make those decisions as to where to allocate cash is, is really the ideal setup. So you mentioned writing code to get at some of the information you need, but are there any other tools or technologies you've implemented this year to help? We've focused more on our online side of things. And along with that, we are seeing which vendors are able to adapt with us and which are just providing somewhat of a transactional product. And we've found the right ones who are able to do what they do best. One example is a a marketing firm that we use 
And they similarly are, are using code on the back end of our website to tie together those other systems and provide a direct communication in so that we can respond to that consumer sentiment and make those purchases or, or deciding on what we're going to ship based on say what someone is looking at, like where the volume of eyeballs are on our website and where they've clicked through to say that they're interested in being updated about it and kind of have a um, probability of which types of consumers are most likely to buy and move our purchases around in that way so that we can get the best the best return on those dollars. Yeah, that sounds almost, or maybe it is predictive modeling. Yeah, just in, in real time or as, as fast as we can do it. So what's keeping you up at night these days? Really the, the thing that does it most is those sudden changes, right? The sudden swings. So even what a week ago with Black Friday, we saw this boom in, in demand. We had a fantastic Black Friday weekend, which was great, but it means Monday morning, there's a whole lot of work to do. And so we don't have that stability that we used to where we could have a nice predictive quarter or even year overall. So the big thing that worries me, though I don't think it's that legitimate of a worry, is something similar to the fires that we had in the fall time, where we saw that sudden drop off in cash flow, particularly as we get into what is historically the, the low season for our business in the winter time. Now we shouldn't have any fires in the winter time, but it still is in the the back of my mind of trying to keep a nice cash buffer, but balance that with the ambitions of our sales team and making sure that they're properly capitalized with bikes to be able to, to hit those targets that they're after. And lastly, I'm trying to also see the good in 2020. So what has been one positive change to come out of this year that you will carry forward? I think it's a, a similar story to what we see or have seen in a lot of industries, in particular with restaurants, where they've had to adapt dramatically. Uh, we've seen a, a lot of adjustments where we're introducing more automations and selling to consumers in different ways. So if you take the restaurant analogy, they've been connecting their relatively older systems to these food deliveries or setting it up so that you can purchase online, pick up from them and bring home for restaurants that never did that before. We're doing the same thing where we're setting up those automations to break down the barriers with a tremendous amount of volume that we've seen in online sales. One of the bottlenecks that we actually ran into was simply entering in those sales into our point of sale system so they could be re recorded into our accounting and it, it just sort of bottlenecked it from there where everything was waiting on that human to take it from one website to our physical point of sale. So we wrote a, a program in-house to do all of that for us, figure out where to source it from, communicate with our sales staff, what they need to do from there and communicate with the customer what their expectations are. And that's made a big difference in terms of the productivity that we're getting out of our teams. Um, and I think what we'll do as things hopefully transition back to normality in 2021 
is we'll build on those automations, not only to get better productivity out of our staff, but it'll make their jobs easier and make it so that they're more likely to want to come to work and that then conveys onto the consumer of, hey, these people really enjoy their jobs. I'm more likely to purchase there. They know what they're doing. Yeah, I think this year has seen a lot of organizations rethink the way they interact with their customers and, and take different approach, approaches to their sales channels. So that's interesting. Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. No problem at all. I appreciate you having me on. It was a good experience. Yeah, I've enjoyed speaking with you and I appreciate you taking the time to share your experiences. And to all of our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this episode as well. Please tune in next week. And until then, take care of yourselves. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personif. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personif can do for you by visiting personif.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personif. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personif.com. Thanks for listening.